0: Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I am Aaron. And we're here today to talk about season three, episode one, titled Valor Doharis Doharis Harris. Doharis ha- Harris? I think it's Harris. Like, Harris sounds too much
1: like a Do-hares. just a white dude's name. Dohares? Now, now it's, it's like saying giraffe five times. It doesn't sound like anything. Dohares. Doharis Valor <laughs> uh,
0: What does it mean? I know what it means.
1: It uh, means uh, all men must serve. It's it the, does. Yeah. It's the uh, ch- it's the challenge response to Valor Morgulis, All men must die. It's Berest and
0: new new motto, I guess. Uh,
1: interesting, uh, because we don't see Arya in this. Uh, no, we don't. We don't see Arya. We don't get an update on Jamie and Brienne. Uh, but nope. we. Uh, I did, that, that's the thing. Like I remember when I saw this episode for the first time, I thought, "Oh, we're, it's going. You know, uh,
0: we're going to see what Arya's been up to." But you can't do everything in one episode. They do a lot. In, yeah in this one they do um and you know this is a, a season preview, so there's not a lot that's super exciting that happens, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they're they're setting up a lot of of interesting stuff here right uh so what do you think of this episode? uh it is a good
1: season opener mm-hmm. um it does a good job of um introducing some new factions and characters we haven't seen before. We get a better look at the Leadership structure of the Wildlings under uh, Mance mm-hmm. Raider. uh We get introduced, I believe, um, to like how, well, we don't get introduced to Marjorie, but we get to see how kind of she's going to function within the court and the setting up the rivalry between her and Cersei.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and vying
0: for the affection of their ch- of her child. <laughs> and Tyrion
1: scrambling to try to find a place for himself in this new world order. Yeah. Mm. Um, and s- s- frankly for that matter Davos and Stannis trying to 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 find the same way and and Danny uh you know fresh after finding her dragons uh now wonders well, how do you take the next step and what are the ethics of using a slave army to free a continent you know mm-hmm. uh lots of interesting stuff you're right they
0: do they do introduce a lot of stuff in an hour what do you think man uh yeah i agree it was it was an enjoyable episode um you know this is this is a rewatch, so having seen this already, I know they're setting up a very enjoyable season, yeah with this this beginner
1: uh also something I think I've neglected to mention on the season preview podcast is that um we don't. We don't do spoilers. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I I realize that there was probably a lot of spoilers in the preview podcast because it was essentially the, the Game of Thrones stuff we did down in Texas. But uh in case you're wondering, we don't we, we we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna cover the episode as if we haven't seen any other Game of Thrones episodes and then after the podcast, well, during the podcast, but at the very end of the podcast, we're going to do a spoiler section where we kind of do looks forward and see um, some material that might be interesting in light of uh, other events, and then that's also where we can just kind of talk about Game of Thrones in general, because I know that's uh, what a lot of fans like to do, mm-hmm. you know, probably a lot of like what's going on in season eight and stuff, but that's all <laughs> going to be all going to be past the, the very end of the podcast. Okay, cool.
0: Well, let's get into the recap.
1: Uh, before we get on the episode, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping because, my gosh, it's been a while since we kept house on Game of Thrones. If, if you only listened to our Game of Thrones coverage, you missed out on a lot. We did uh, Mr. Robot. We killed The Walking Dead. Uh, we covered Westworld, The Expanse. Uh, right now, we're covering Sharp Objects on uh, HBO, also on HBO. Uh, We're doing that on the Bald Move TV feed. Since it's a mini series, we didn't want to create our own feed. So if you go to BaldMove.com and click on the podcast, there is a Bald Move TV. And uh, we actually did a little bit of talk about the the, the Time Warner AT&T merger and what that might mean for HBO. Uh, And then we also talked about Sharp Objects. We're going to be doing weekly coverage of that. Uh, We also have first-run bald movies. Uh, We have already covered a ton of great movies this year, including Annihilation, uh, Ready Player One, A Quiet Place, Avengers Affinity War, Deadpool 2, Star Wars, Solo Star Wars Story. Uh, We're doing Skyscraper this week, the Dwayne The Rock Johnson vehicle. That should be a lot of cheesy fun. Um, And also, uh, in the off-season, I... Wrote a book, or I'm writing a book with a religious scholar by the name of Anthony Ladon. Uh, we're doing a Kickstarter right now to raise money for editors, proofreaders, artists, uh, so forth and so on. Uh, book.baldmove.com if you want to get in on that. We've actually already hit our funding goal. We're looking at stretch goals right now. And we're really, I was super excited to uh, be able to announce that we brought on the artist Chase Stone who has done a lot of work for uh, fantasy art for Magic the Gathering and did several illustrations for The World of Ice and Fire. He's going to be doing our cover art. I'm super excited about that. Uh, but if you're interested in the religions of Westeros and comparing them to the real-life uh, inspirations they gave, you know, just like the loose story of Game of Thrones is based kind of on the War of the Roses, a lot of the religions in Westeros are based on real-life analogs in European and... Uh, uh and and asian uh religious cultures and we draw parallels between that and use it to kind of get some insights of characters and maybe some future plot
0: events check it out at book.baldmove.com uh we start with sam running away from the white the white walkers that attacked them uh, he finds his brother killed with his head in his hands and a white approaches him to kill him but he's saved by ghost and Gior, who asked him if he sent the ravens of course sam did not which causes Gior to lead the decide to lead the men back to the wall to to warn the rest of the the Seven Kingdoms what's coming.
1: Yeah, the stakes are pretty high. We must reach the wall before winter. or Everyone you've ever known will be dead.
0: Yeah, no, he doesn't mince words. Dead Not as Sam's raven husbandry career. Oh man, I love the look on his face when he's forced to admit that he didn't uh, send the raven. And then Jor has the classic. You
1: had one job. Yeah. <laughs> um but pretty cool like i I like ghost saving the day um what did you think about the fact that they yada yada through yet another battle i mean we we Mm. had just feasted on the wonder that is blackwater in the previous season which is the first kind of large-scale conflict that the show did and they did very well but i remember uh you know in the pre uh the first three pot the first three seasons i i did with another podcast a podcaster mad brew and he was an ex-military guy, and he was always frustrated with the shows. Like, oh, we're getting set up for a big battle, and then, <laughs> you know, the fade, the 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 fade in from black, and the battle sounds, and then it's it's over. Mm-hmm. Good, good uh, budget saving, and also, yeah. I don't think George Martin likes writing big battles either, because he tends to do this in a text as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, there's a lot of before, there's a lot of aftermath, but actually, like blow by blow, large scale battles, not not so much. Okay, yeah,
0: I had no problem with it. Yeah. Um, Honestly, like... I thought you, as a zombie guy, might want to see some, like... I've seen some good zombie stuff, and and no spoilers, you'll get better zombie stuff later. Yeah. Uh, So this isn't the end of the White Walkers, what? This is not, no. Oh, okay. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I actually, I don't feel like I missed anything. I was actually very confused coming back into this, because it's been... Oh my God! Almost Uh, a year, over a year since we did season two. I think uh, didn't didn't it wrap up? We did after and and, and wrapped up. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been 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 almost a a year uh, since season two. So I didn't remember anything about the end of season two. Thank
1: God HBO makes those season like like
0: what do they call those? The catch ups or the season two review or I didn't watch that before I watched (laughs) this. So my my mistake, I guess. Uh, But yeah, I was very confused as to what was happening here. And what Sam was running from. I figured it was probably White Walkers, given his location.
1: Yeah. Uh, Yeah.
0: But yeah, if if you are confused by this episode, I suggest going back and watching that season three primer from HBO. It helps a lot. Uh, So then John is led into the Wilding camp, where he sees a giant for the first time and nearly shits his pants, which Egret promptly teases him about. Uh, He's taken to Mance Raiders' tent, where Tormund Giants Bane, who John mistakes for Mance himself, menaces him. Mance reveals himself and questions John about why he's there and why he wants to join them. And John gives first the wrong answer and then the real answer which is he saw the White Walkers and the Lord Commander didn't care so now he wants to fight for the side that will care. Essentially.
1: Yeah, it's interesting that John uses a large kernel of the truth to sell the overall larger lie that he's defected. Um, right. Because we know that he did really struggle with the not, not just the fact that the Lord Commander didn't care, but he already knew. And this was yeah. an official policy of non-interference with this man's infanticide. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, fucked up cult he's running from from beyond the wall. So, um, and, and you know, I I wonder... It, it, it's interesting to wonder, like, if Mance Raider, that's a decision that he made similarly too. Because we don't have a lot of information on the show about why he fell from grace why he left the brotherhood why he turned on his former brother Corin a half hand and all that mm-hmm. but you know the fact that he thought this was a good answer I think maybe indicates that that uh, you know wasn't just freedom wasn't just wanting to you know go beyond the wall uh, the the wall and sow his wild oats
0: no I mean Mance here reveals in not so many words that he knows of the White Walkers and it essentially buys John his life here right the answer that John gives is in line with what Mance already believes, you can you can tell. Right. Um, and what Mance has seen himself. So yeah, I, I think that's the, the saving grace for John is that Mance is kind of in the same place as he is as regard the White Walkers. Right, right. Uh what did you I
1: I think the the
0: way they portrayed the
1: Giants was pretty incredible. Yeah. It it's utterly convincing. It looks great. Um it's, it's very different from how they're depicted in the books. In the books, they're depicted as kind of like Sasquatch, like hmm, just giant, okay. like they're covered in thick fur. They don't wear clothes. Um, I, I I thought this is a more interesting way to, to portray them. <laughs> they just look like a bigger version of Tormund. <laughs> <laughs> they really do. Honestly. <laughs> they really do. Yeah. With a, a slightly weirder face. Yeah, Ch- Tormund the chicken eater.
0: <laughs> uh, that was... That was his name before he got uh, the Giant's Bane. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I-, I do wonder if, when they were writing, what was going through their heads with this giant scene? Is it, is it that Egret is latching on to the thing that they're both watching happen with the giant pounding the stake into the ground, and she's mm-hmm. using that to. Say, hey, he can do that to you. Take a p- pound, the man in the ground, John's <laughs> new. Right. Is that just egret thinking on her feet here to, to tease John? I don't know.
1: I, I honestly, like... Um at this point, you don't know, like, what the deal with the Giants are. Um, mm-hmm. They live amongst humanity. They're, like, in this very large army. To, like, how effective are they in combat? You, she says they're shy but angry. Kind of sounds... Uh, it reminds me a lot of, like, Chewbacca. He's uh-huh. a pretty gentle dude, but, like, you know, he might might rip your arms off especially if you've seen the new solo
0: movie you don't want to beat a giant chess
1: no i'll tell you in hollow chess especially no 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 <laughs> um and i also like the like the little kids that are pelting john snow with uh with stones because this is mm-hmm. uh i mean the the these 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 factions have been hating each other this is like the hatfield mccoy feud times a thousand years or more yeah That they've been they've been the boogeyman in each other's stories, and I thought it was a nice touch to have the kids kind of like you know increasingly the the bravest one comes up and throws a stone, and they all start, and then Egret hands one of them their ass, and Mm -hmm. uh, good time good times had by all.
0: Yeah, and and Egret like smacking that kid down shows you what the culture is like up here, right? Like kids aren't really treated as as, they aren't coddled, right? No, 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 no. Like they they can't step out of line, and you know. They have to be set straight, right? Because if you step out of line, you
1: might fall down a crevasse <laughs> and never be seen again. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and 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 freeze to death. But they they do a really good job of showing the difference between Westerosi culture and yeah. Wildling culture because they have that uh, the uh, the fact that you know John is admonished for kneeling mm-hmm. uh, even before the so-called king. But beyond the wall, they don't they don't they don't they don't do that kind of like weird obeisance to mankind like they do down south of the wall. Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot, they, they use multiple ways to tell these, these stories,
0: and I think it was pretty effective, an uh, in introduction to the culture. Mm-hmm. All right, we go to Bronn, uh, an equally effective scene here. He's with a woman in a brothel when Tyrion sins for him over what he calls a matter of life and death. <laughs> uh, Cersei visits Tyrion to find out what he wants to get out of the meeting that he's set up with his father. She's very nervous about what Tyrion's going to say to him about her and Joffrey, uh, given some of their actions during the Battle of Blackwater. Uh Braun shows up outside and insults the guards, and things are about to get violent when the door opens and the guards leave with Cersei. And then there's a short shortish but very, very entertaining scene of Bron squeezing Tyrion for double the pay to continue as his personal guard.
1: Uh we covered a lot of ground in that recap. We did. Yeah. I I I actually really cuz the the little moments in this episode I think make it like the establishing shot of King's Landing where there's these boys diving in the water to mm-hmm. like loot the wrecks of the Blackwater. Yeah. Which establish, which sets up, you know, Davos's predicament here in a bit. Uh I thought that was really cool. I like Braun kind of like enjoying playing a little submissive role to the <laughs> one of Littlefinger's uh, girls wow. and I like Pod braving death because uh, he's like as as Bronn tries to dismiss him he's like boy i will
0: murder you and mm-hmm. you know pods it's a matter of life and death so he's <laughs> he's willing to lay it down now so, some of bronn scenes especially when he's with Tyrion are the best scenes yeah. just the the rapport that they have and yeah. the casual attitude that bronn has about everything even when he's you know squeezing a lord for more money uh more riches more titles Things like that. You know, last season we talked about it being kind of a
1: high-water mark for Tyrion's personal power. And they do such a good job of showing how small his world's become. He's, like, mm-hmm. locked in this tiny cell. When he addresses his sister, she's flanked by these larger-than-life Kingsguard. Um, and he's his face is behind that little, you know, like, portcullis thing in, in, in the door. And I, I thought that did a good job framing him. He's kind of scarred. Um I thought that was that was kind of cool.
0: Yeah, they they show you know how marginalized he is, and you mentioned you know him sliding that little window open. Right, it's funny to see Joffrey do the same thing yeah. when he's in the city. It's almost like Tywin's back. The the you know daddy's right. home, and everybody has to kneel <laughs> yeah. before him. And you can
1: hear the, his big footsteps
0: stomping around the house. Right. So you got to yeah. stay on your feet. No, it's uh, good, but Tyrion, yeah, he's completely marginalized at this point.
1: And it's funny because it's like Cersei has ostensibly the upper hand here Mm -hmm. um but she really fears Tyrion's uh, low cunning as her father says because you know she can't even beat him verbally yeah and she you can tell that bothers her and also that it's it's not just all the shit that cersei and joffrey have pulled in season two but like i think the lie that she's trying to fish around here is the whole incest question uh, like, you know, mm-hmm. what's this thing with Jamie, uh, and, and, uh, uh, and Cersei, and what's this mean about my grandsons? Like, what, I, I think she's nervous about being on the same page about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, the line about, you're not half as clever as you think you are, but still makes me more clever than you, yeah. is, is a pretty sick burn. And the way they shot this too, like how they paced, they're like, like these caged lions, since they Lannisters mm-hmm. like every time Cersei would cross the room like Tyrion would 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 pivot and, and the orbit the exact opposite way yeah. I felt like that she was kind of like he, he's just so scared that she's gonna pull I mean he, he's helpless he's helpless he yeah um like those a- and she had just tried to kill
0: him right I mean that's right that's the with thing. the Kingsguard she... yeah now he's got two and no bodyguards <laughs> right so but she makes a good point you know if she wanted him dead she just have it done yeah. although I think it's a little more difficult now that daddy's home you know I don't think even as much as Tywin hates Tyrion I don't see him as allowing yes. his children to kill each other yes at least as blatantly open about it as would be like strolling into his chamber and murdering like, him like, king's guard.
1: like even Cersei at her, and even Cersei at her most cunning yeah would probably commit something that Tywin would see through as an amateur hour
0: operation. Oh of course, yeah. Like but, sh- but I feel like he might be okay with it if it had some veil of maybe. Like, oh plausible deniability right. here. But right. but to walk in and just murder him. Right. That's that's no good.
1: I think I just I, I also think that like it's one thing to be murdered on a battlefield, but I yeah. think Tywin just like if Tyrion got murdered within King's Landing period, that would kind of impugn Lannister power. Like a Lannister got murdered Absolutely. in the seat of her power, what the fuck? So I saw. I, I don't. I don't think she could get away with it, regardless. No, um, I, I
0: think the you know the vicious slander that she's talking about here is um, partially that you know that yeah. she had tried to have him killed mm. at the Battle of Blackwater. I don't think he wants. Or she wants Tyrion spreading that to her father. There's
1: lots of things it could be. It could be the Stannis letter uh, alleg- with the true allegations of the incest. It could be mm-hmm. the m- plot to have Tyrion murdered. It could also be the fact that Joffrey... Turn tail and ran. Like, yeah. he was abandoning the city to its fate. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, and the fact that Cersei um, was hol- was holed up ready to die. Like, none of them covered themselves in glory except Tyrion. Except and Tyrion's the Tyrion. one getting shit on. Yeah. No, it so. sucks. Who's your money on, Braun or the two King's Guardians? One of them was Sir Marin Tran the other, or Sir <laughs> Perrin Mant. I <laughs> right. Braun was like, t- you know, fucking he, with him. He knew what he was doing there. Yeah. he knew, He knows the guy's name. I think, I think, uh, Sir Marin pulls a sword and he's got, he's got a, he's got a dagger stuck through his armpit into his heart before he
0: gets it clear. I agree with that. I do worry about that second King's Guard, though. Mm. He doesn't that, even have a name. That's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> he,
1: he's like, it's like the Austin Powers. It's like, look at you. You don't even, you're, you're just a henchman. You don't even have a name. Yeah. Uh, he, he would have ran. <laughs> he would have ran away. Uh, maybe, Pod, I mean, shit, if Pod can kill. And that's the other thing. Um, as I think you're supposed to understand that the King's Guard is starting to degrade. Mm-hmm. Like it's we're we're well away from the days of Cerberus and Selmie's trying to maintain honor in the fa- in the face of the usurper and all that stuff and mm-hmm. um you know these guys not only are they not honorable but they're not particularly skilled either. Yeah. Um so I, I think that's one of the other things you're supposed to understand about the the, the universe. And even Bronn says, like, you're just a grub in fancy armor better at beating girls than facing men in battle. Mm-hmm. And I think Bronn beat them both pretty handily.
0: All right, we move to Davos, who wakes up on the rocks. Uh, somewhere outside of King's Landing, I'm not really sure exactly where they are. It's because like the they're... mouth of
1: the Blackwater, I
0: think. like the yeah. you know, He's like kind of got swept out to sea. Okay. They, well, he flags down a passing ship. Yep. Uh, they ask which king he served, and Davos' answer is true, and it's apparently the right answer, yeah. uh, Stannis Baratheon.
1: I think it's kind of funny how he tried to maybe get away with, like, oh, yeah. the one true king of Westeros, of course, and the guys weren't giving him nothing.
0: So. Yeah, and then, you know, he sticks to his principles here, yeah. and he could have died for it, because it's much safer, given where he is, yeah. to say Joffrey, you know? But he sticks to Stannis. I um, also enjoyed the,
1: the attention to detail that they, when he was waving him down, you could visibly see that he was missing the fingers mm-hmm. on uh, the... He got his
0: his gloves blown off.
1: Yeah. In that battle. Yeah. <laughs> just t- completely torn off. Yeah. Um, I mean, he did get blown off his ship by that, that wildfire. Yeah, he um, did. But no, I thought that was, that was a cool I've attention to detail. I've heard shoes
0: getting blown off. But right, and then you're dead. Gloves?
1: You're just dead if that happens. If, if you get your... I, I, there must be a... A subsection of lethality where if your gloves and shoes get burnt and blown <laughs> off, it cancels each other out. Right. Equal and opposite reaction. <laughs>
0: exactly. It's just science. Holds your insides in. <laughs> uh, all right. Salador's son takes him aboard and tells him that Stannis is alive and he's in Dragonstone, but he's consulting only with the Red Woman, which Davos is not happy to hear. Mm-mm. So he begs Salador to take him there so he can kill the Red Woman.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, this is another efficient storytelling. Like, they sell, like, honestly, they sell these people, be, these guys being long-term friends better than, like, Lucas ever sold Obi-Wan and Anakin, <laughs> like, in just this five-minute scene. You find out that, you know, like, like Davos says, you drank with me on my wedding day. And he goes, yeah, and you drank with me on all four of mine. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then at the end where he's trying to speak, because he's, I think he genuinely likes Davos yeah. and admires him, and he's like, look. Your king has gone borderline Phantom of the Opera crazy in Dragonstone. He's burning men alive, anyone that says a word against him, and you're gonna you're gonna cut this woman's heart out. Like you're going even if you succeed, you're gonna die, and as he, he says, it's like look, when you die, I'm gonna gather your bones in a sack and let your widow wear them around her neck. Which I guess uh, I didn't
0: realize that Davos was married. He is married. We have some feedback about it. Huh. So Okay. He's talk. just kind of been out. <laughs> he's been out he said now i'm going to the (laughs) drugstore and five years ago and now he's he's still not back yeah yeah Hmm. okay uh we move on to rob and Roos showing up at a castle which is unoccupied i thought this was Heron hall it is it for sure definitely is okay i hmm all right yeah. What was your sense. What's
1: your cuz like yeah. the Lannisters essentially abandoned it last year to in favor of going to King's Landing. Right. And they thought that maybe the mountain would be garrisoning here too, but like apparently uh, the Lannisters are just running from Rob. They it's it's frustrating him in the establishing shot of this that, you know, yeah. haven't had a stand up
0: fight with the Lannisters in some time. No, they they talk about Jamie. Um I my guess is that they think Jamie is leading an army somewhere. It's hard. It's hard to tell based no, no. on the dialogue.
1: Jamie, uh, I know where Jamie is, oh, oh, but oh.
0: but where do they think he is?
1: Um, I don't. They they think he's just you know running in the open country with probably Brienne trying to get back mm. to King's Landing. Okay, uh, and that's why they're you know they arrest his mother. Well, they don't arrest. I mean, they already arrested her mother, and they're yeah.
0: sending her to a cell and all that kind of stuff. Right. So there's uh, the, the gruesome remnants of a battle here, including one surviving maester named Kyburn, mm-hmm. and like you said, Rob orders his mother held in a cell.
1: Yeah, there's a, so like stuff that you can see that there's like you know the Stark, um, Rickard Stark is continuing to be very salty about uh, letting
0: his son's murderer go free. Yeah. Um, and Rob sees that. You yeah. Know, he sees it in the faces of the men and decides. I can't let my mother just run around, right?
1: And even like as she, like she kind of tells her personal cost, like she sees one of her father's bannermen that died for Rob, mm-hmm. uh, that were all brutally massacred here at the Heron uh, Hall, and yet that's the moment he says to, he hardens his heart and says, "Find a chamber; that will serve as a cell." And even his wife Talisa tries to intervene, um, and uh, he's not having it. Like he can't. Like, I, I think that's true. Like he literally can't afford to be weak at this moment. Like any yeah. any more he's got zero margin for political mistakes at this point Mm -hmm. because he fucks up any more time. His bannermen are going to start abandoning him and all he's got going for him is he's never been defeated in battle. Yeah. Uh, and his direwolf. And if he loses his mojo, it's, it's going to go bad for him.
0: Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, moving on to Tyrion meeting with his father. He says that he wants some credit for his role in the defense of King's landing as well as, uh, you know his his rightful lands which include casterly rock uh and his titles and tywin promises him other lands and positions but refuses casterly rock because essentially he hates him and everything that he represents uh there's a lot of resentment there for a lot of different reasons uh and then he sends him away but not before promising to hang the next whore that he catches in his bed mm-hmm. uh this for me is one of the most memorable scenes of the entire series just because of how shitty Tywin is. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, Th- this defines Tywin for me. Yeah, and
1: uh, like the the anger that he feels at uh, at at Tyrion. Um, does it? I mean, I think that he would dislike Tyrion just in general because, like, he he's in a you know in his in Tywin's eyes he's imperfect he, you know the the Lannisters project this image of beauty and power and wealth and you know perf- perfection mm-hmm. uh, like the, the 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 vicious gossip about Tywin is he shit's gold like uh and then you got this like deformed this this dwarf son I, I, I mean this is how Tywin sees it that this person that you know a, a, against the golden god Jamie is just such a just doesn't measure up in in multiple categories Mm -hmm. and he's asking for you know what is his legal right because Jamie and the Kings are he can't inherit titles he can't take lands so who uh, the question is like who the hell is Tywin going to give this to eventually yeah like is he just going to give it like the skip skip a generation give it to Tywin is he going to like give it to his brother his brother's kid uh, Lancel that little shit Um, but he's just so angry on top of all that stuff that, like, uh, Tyrion also, he's being blamed for killing his mother. Right. Which is fucked up, but, you know. Yeah,
0: but Tywin is fucked
1: up in that way. Yeah, And, uh, uh, and then he also says that since I cannot prove that you're not mine, the gods have cursed me to watch you waddle about in my colors and banner. Mm -hmm. But I'll, I'll be consumed by maggots before I make you an heir to the rock. Uh. And yeah, it's 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 really brutal. It's really brutal. And and, and also there was low key danger with like Shea and Tyrion because like, you know, Cersei might find out and then what would happen, but he was still the hand in the king. Now that Tywin's here, mm-hmm. like there's there is an exclamation point to this danger. Yeah. And last season told the story of Shay not really suffering well under this yoke of like oh well, we got to keep everything secret and we got to sneak around and and mm-hmm. now it's going to be even more dangerous or it's like bad signs for their relationship
0: yeah for sure uh i to say i really love the the chamber of the hand uh, mm-hmm. as a set yeah i think like there's no show that does sets better than game of thrones right right I, I literally can't think of a single one yeah uh most of the time they use real locations which helps a lot uh, but then just the dressing is so good, um, everything about it, it yeah. just feels like you're in the place really at does. the time. Uh, then we move on to Sansa and Shay sitting on a dock, making up stories about the ships as they sail by. Uh, Littlefinger approaches Sansa to offer her a way back to her mother and sister, and Roz assesses Shay as, let's say, her kind of woman, and uh, warns her to watch out for Sansa with Littlefinger. Because, yeah. you know, Littlefinger is a manipulating bastard. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, Roz is a sad character because I, I really like
1: her. I don't know that the show knows what to do with her because hmm. she is current, like, she knew everything there was to know about Littlefinger seasons ago, but she's impotent to do anything about it. Yeah. Like, she's stuck serving this just vile, terrible man. And all she can do is warn uh, Shay about it in not so many words that, that he is this vile, terrible person that can't be trusted, especially around Sansa.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important, you know, that Roz grew up or or came up around Sansa, right, in Winterfell.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So
0: she has some loyalty even above and beyond what she does to Littlefinger, her employer.
1: Right. That, she, I thought it was a good touch that, it's like, you know, I grew up in the shadow of Winterfell, and when this girl was born, the bells rang from sun up to sunset. Mm-hmm. Um... That was a that was a nice touch that she she actually remembers that and uh, you know everyone loves the Starks up north so I'm I'm sure there's like actual affection here yeah um, it would be terrible if she got ground up in the in the same machine on the other hand I'm not digging how snotty Sansa is to sh- like
0: I I feel like she's very quick to be a shit to to uh, Shay huh okay I, I guess I just read it as a young girl who wants to play a game and isn't being uh, it helped it's in a, that regard it's, it's
1: just a, i mean you're right you're absolutely right but on the other hand uh you know she's had to learn some tough lessons and or may, maybe this is another attempt to just play a girlish game because last season she was forced to be the backbone of the ladies of king's landing as they're waiting to be you know murdered and and, and raped to death by the invaders um mm-hmm. but i don't know it's like i i keep waiting for Sansa to like Become more than what she is, and it's it's hard to compare her to Arya, because uh, like Arya is so likable, and she's like grabbing things by the scruff and and trying to
0: maybe no more effectually than than Sansa, but at least she's trying. Yeah, Arya is making her own way, whereas Sansa is just being led around, right? Uh, and this is yet another scene of that. You know, right. I mean, I- I'm not sure. That I can put my finger exactly on Littlefinger's motivations here, mm-hmm. but he's clearly he always. I mean, Littlefinger always has an ulterior motive. Right. Uh, getting Sansa out is not simply because he likes Sansa and wants to see her live. Yeah, and There's even something then, else behind it. Like I
1: do believe he liked and even loved Catelyn, but mm-hmm. he's not above murdering her husband and putting her in a situation where she's in in, in danger. Right. Um. You know, because Littlefinger, I think mean, the most important thing to Littlefinger is Littlefinger. Yeah. So, you know, he might like you. He might be using you for a scheme. But
0: uh, he he's, everything's very transactional with him, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. All right. Danny laments her lack of an army while she and Jorah sail to Astapor and we're kind of treated to a little dragon scene here, mm-hmm. fishing and uh, just flying around. The tossing fish in the air and, and burning them. Instant torching. Yeah, seared ahi tuna. Dragons <laughs> like their, their fish cooked. Yeah, you know? they do. They're not fans of raw fish. Uh, no for sushi. Some reason, no sushi for Drogon. Uh, the Dothraki aren't taken to the water very well. No, they're but not. They are still here, which Danny takes as a sign that they'll follow her anywhere. And Jory cautions her that she hasn't quite proved herself to all Dothraki yet.
1: Right, especially the one on his hands and knees, puking up <laughs> three breakfasts worth yeah. of stuff. Like that guy is not having a good time.
0: Yeah, he just had a grand slam <laughs> from <laughs> D's and or from Denny's, and he uh, did not keep it down.
1: And they also mentioned that like the big uh, one of the big uh, tensions for Danny this season is how do you liberate a land or take something back with like good intentions. If you use like slave labor, because mm-hmm. you know, they're going here to purchase the insullied, which is the greatest parenthetical slave soldiers in the world. And what does that mean for, for, for Danny who kind of grew up in a s- slavery chattel situation herself, uh, who wasn't free to make her own decisions. How, how is that going to sit with her?
0: Yeah, no, no, it's a, it's a good thing for her to be wrestling with yeah. at this point because um, it, it's also made more interesting by the fact that she's very desperate mm-hmm. you know she doesn't have a great avenue to find an army right Um. this is this is like the one thing that she thinks she can do here Uh, if she wants to claim her her rightful place so she's kind of stuck between like a rock and an ethical dilemma yeah which is which is a cool place for her to be Gives her something interesting to do, for sure, other than just looking for dragons. Yes. Damn dragons. All right, Davos arrives at Dragonstone, and he tries to convince Stannis to continue to fight and to ditch Melisandre. She claims that everything bad happened because Davos convinced Stannis to leave her behind at Blackwater. Convenient, that. Yeah. uh, And Stannis tries to stab her, but Stannis guards, grab him, and take him to the dungeon.
1: Yeah, I mean, she really provokes him. Um, she been essentially says all of your failures were your own, and I could have I could have st- saved them. And mm-hmm. I wonder how much of this Stannis believes. I guess a lot. I think a
0: good chunk of it. Yeah,
1: because he's willing to throw Davos in the dungeon. Um, yeah, and-, and there's a
0: look they they specifically linger on Stannis when she says, you know, but I wasn't there because you convinced my king to leave me behind. And they show Stannis, and he's like. Yep. <laughs> right. Right. Because he believes. I mean, he he believes in a large part of her power. I mean, she's demonstrated yeah. enough that
1: uh, it's it starts to make sense with him. But the, the the final jab where she says, "What I told your son was true. Fire is the cleanest death." Mm-hmm. Uh, almost like she f- prophesied it. It just makes da- Davos lose all of his cool, and and he he tries to he tries to make good on his threat to cut her heart out. And those guards are
0: in there. They quick. are.
1: Yeah, and they're on
0: top of him.
1: Uh it's interesting. There's, like, no hesitation. Like no. Uh, they, From the way uh, uh, his buddy Salad or Sand was, was talking, like, maybe some of his men would be, like, not on board. But I guess mm-hmm. the ones that aren't burnt probably are pretty thick in the religion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think seeing your comrades burn would probably change your mind pretty quick. You wonder, like, in the campfires around, like, the
1: remaining men that are still loyal to Stannis, like, how many people are saying, boy, if we had, you know, if we had the red lady with us, this wouldn't have yeah. happened.
0: Yeah, and it's really easy to you know talk about hindsight, right? Like, yeah. oh, <laughs> you know, what if? What if I was there? Right. Uh, who knows what would have happened? All right. We go on to Joffrey and Marjorie uh, being transported through the city. Marjorie stops to visit with the orphaned children. She tells them that their fathers are knights in spirit because they fought to save the city, and promises they'll take care of them with food, homes, and clothing. And when they return to the castle, they have dinner with Cersei who warns her that she could have been killed by the people of flea Bottom. i think they're in flea Bottom, yeah uh, yeah they mentioned yeah, flea yeah, yeah. okay uh-huh. uh marjorie insists it's her duty to use their bountiful harvest to feed the starving citizens but cersei is unimpressed
1: uh i think it's the contrast between joffrey and marjorie and how deftly she's playing him uh is mm-hmm. is funny like you see you start off when we're inside Joffrey's litter, and he's got his little rag, and he's holding it to his nose because, oh, my God, these people are just, just garbage people, and they stink, and, oh, they're shitting in the streets. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then Marjorie just gets out and flounces with her dress through this big shit puddle and mm-hmm. doesn't care, and she's effortlessly bonding with these uh, these children, and she's telling the septa to come directly to her. Like, she's she is... Uh, she's, she's being his human half. Like, uh, you start to think, like, maybe... Maybe this list would actually work. This political alliance would work cuz like Joffrey is a complete garbage human being, but you know, Marge is is, is got a big enough heart for both of it, both of them.
0: Well, well you need the you need honestly you need the trinity. You need yeah. you, you need Marjorie, Joffrey and Tywin because yeah. you got to have a military arm and sure. I don't think that Marjorie is up to that task and I know that Joffrey is not. Right, right. So you got to get Tywin in there too to really have the full a king in in a three-person package
1: yeah uh and then the dinner scene i thought was great because yeah. he once again cersei feels like she's being uh outmaneuvered by people that she's better than yeah you know like she sees this as a weakness uh the, this this uh uh and, and just the fact that like nobody likes cersei no uh her whole life the only type you don't i mean like, I guess as a little girl and as a young woman, she's just so extraordinarily beautiful that she could just get away with anything. Mm-hmm. And she's also from the richest, one of the most, most powerful families of Westeros. But now there's a couple of mentions about the fact that she's getting older. And, you know, maybe all this, like, constantly sitting around and drinking wine uh, has, has started to rob her a little bit of her looks and make her brittle. And, like, boy, if that goes, what has she got? And she's mm-hmm. now seeing this very beautiful. Potential young new queen who also has a touch with the people—that's And that's a huge threat. And not only that, yeah. she's 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 wrapping wrapping Joffrey around her little finger too.
0: Right. That's the thing. This this scene is one of many that is all about the battle for Joffrey. Yeah. You know, the the battle for. Control of the kingdom via Joffrey. Because Joffrey does not have control himself. He's being manipulated from all sides. And since Joffrey put, like, uh, Cersei back on her
1: heels last season with, like, you know, you've touched me again, or speak to me again, and, you know, queen or no, it's going to go bad for her, like joffrey clowns on her it's like oh you know my mother her facts get less important to her as she gets older and she has to just take it yeah she can at best come back with the like a lukewarm retort that's kind of aimed at marjorie
0: but despite being entirely right and joffrey knowing she's entirely right like you know he says oh our lives were never really in danger but god damn it in that scene you were shitting your pants kid and that's the thing i like about about when marjorie stops right? right you you know that Joffrey has had an experience just like this, and it went terribly. And wrong. that's the reason
1: they're in these armored litters and right. under heavy guard because of his 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 bullshit and last yet, season.
0: And yet he's taking you know, he's essentially ignoring the facts to right. dig his mother here.
1: Right. Uh, they also show like uh, you know uh, they have been telling this in a very a variety amount of ways, but we find that the like you know Marjorie's family uh, from the the uh, the Reach. Has been bailing King's Landing out like they're the new Lannisters. They've got a hundred wagons with food and <laughs> Which, g- coming in yeah. on the daily. On the daily, there's a stream uh, of stuff that they're gonna they're gonna bail King's Landing out. And so even then, like Cersei can't even without Tywin, she can't be too rude because what happens if Marjorie's like, oh, you know what? Fuck all this. I'm taking her hundred wagons. We're going. Yeah. Then the people starve and they destroy.
0: They they pull King's Landing down brick by brick. Yeah, it's almost like Marjorie is trying to turn the people against Cersei. Yeah. By both being kind to them and providing them with food. Just by showing the contrast yeah. in the t- the attitudes. Yep. Of the- here's here's your old queen. Yeah. And now here's your
1: He's, new queen. You know the old queen, she's been around for a long time. What she do for you. Here's the new queen. Yeah. Uh new hotness and I also bake the bread and bring home the bacon. So, uh
0: you mentioned the 100 wagons that arrive daily. Uh-huh. I think it's hilarious because if you watch that scene closely, yeah. you can see that what Marjorie actually said when the scene was being filmed is a thousand wagons oh, really? daily. You can see her mouth say thousand, oh, but the dialogue says hundred. The
1: rare oper- the rare time where the double D's actually yes. took a step back and said, Is this
0: believable? A thousand really? a thousand? That's a lot of wagons, right? It's like That's one, one of order wagons. of magnitude too many.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't they, yeah. they not a spoiler, but they're not as they're not as good about that in in later seasons. It's just like right. ah Thousand ships, a ten thousand, thousand men, a hundred thousand
0: men, a million dragons, whatever you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, okay, Danny arrives at Astapor and is treated to a demonstration of the Unsullied army's obedience and told about their rigorous training. While their owner insults her behind the veil of his interpreter, and Danny is displeased with the cruel methods of their training, which includes each one of them going out and killing a child, a, a small baby, in front of their mother, and then paying a silver coin to the owner of the baby for the loss of the potential yeah. slave. No, I mean this
1: yeah. How does a society like this continue for any amount? Of, like, yeah, I I don't know, maybe this is me being soft-hearted and and headed, but like I got to believe that a society that evil would just collapse under its own shititude. Yeah. You know, like the, the, the this is that fucked up view of human life, like there's just no way that you can there's just no
0: way that that's a stable equilibrium. You wouldn't think so. But then again, yeah, it's I, I like... I mean, I can't imagine the vice grip you have to have on the people to make that work And you term. can make
1: these fanatical soldiers where only one out of four boys survive the train. I mean, this shit's like way, right out of Warhammer 40K, <laughs> like, training the space marines. And that is often seen as, like, self-parody and, yeah. you know, just, just, just up its own ass. But, like, this is just a just a terrible, terrible, evil... Uh, cancer on on the planet, and like you even see like the 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 owner, the slave owner, can't even be civil to a client, right? Like he's just he f- he thinks he's better than everyone. Uh, yeah, it's it's it's. He calls Danny an ignorant whore. Uh, I forget what he says to to the the knight, uh, Sir Jorah, but uh, I also it's, it's it's it is high comedy though. Uh, the translator. Like says, Yeah, tell this ignorant whore to watch this. But the master begs you to attend to this demonstration carefully. Right. And the dude just like cuts off his nipples Mm -hmm. and you find out these guys are all castrated and ugh. It's bad. Yeah,
0: I mean they're really setting him up to be the worst. He is. And I don't know. I don't know what they're gonna do with that. You know, it'd almost been an interesting idea to show these guys
1: as like more of a velvet glove. Like you know, Danny already had a moral conundrum just doing this transaction. Mm-hmm. Having these guys be just the height of scum and villainy kind of makes the decision easier, right? It, it like, does. Like, like, like make, make
0: Jorah's argument resonate,
1: right? You know? Right. And I, I feel like that maybe like if these guys were a little bit you know more civilized and like cultured and uh, you tried to make some argument. I don't know. I don't know how they could put a good face on. The, the brutal nature of this training, but... Right. Uh, and, and it's just a fact that you're turning men into automatons.
0: Yeah. Uh, but they didn't even try. <laughs> yeah, and I wonder if it, you know, his, his um, I guess, disdain for Danny stems from her being a woman wanting to buy his army. Probably. It's probably a good chunk it. of that. Like, yep. I wonder if he would treat, you know, Jorah the same way if he were to come up and buy, try and buy the slaves. Right. I mean,
1: I... I'm certain he wouldn't respect Jor anymore, but there certainly is, uh, I mean, I have no problem ascribing sexism to this guy's many, many (laughs) sins. Like, (laughs) why not? Throw it in the fucking heap. Set it on fire. Yeah. Uh, And then, uh, I also like this, this, like, I mean, it gets... The progressive revelation, like you, Danny arrives at Astapor, and there the, we are informed that these guys have been standing here for a full day and night, that food and water, mm-hmm. and just like, and then you find out they're training, and he cuts off one of their nipples, and then, and then when the guy, uh, when he's like, "Yeah, I'm done with you," and the guy's like, "It pleases me to have served you," it's like it's
0: Jesus. Wow, yeah. it's brainwashing. Yeah, <laughs> of the highest order. Yeah. Uh, after the meeting, Danny discusses the ethics of owning a slave army with Jorah as they follow a girl who wants to play with him, and a man in cloak uh also follows them. When the girl throws her a ball with a scorpion creature in it, the cloaked man saves her and reveals himself as Sir Barristan Selmy, who says that he failed her family, whom he has sworn to protect and pledges himself as her protector if she'll have him. Uh not a great not a great argument, Sir Barristan. Right. You you come up and you say, I failed. The last person I pledged to protect in every way imaginable. <laughs> I would love to be your protector if you. Had then me. I got <laughs> fired from the 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 other job I took. Yeah, um, much worse argument than the arguments Jorah is making for the slave army. <laughs> it does move
1: Danny though, like yeah. the fact that this is the man who was the King's Gu- King's Guard to, uh, you know, her father. I think mm-hmm. was interesting. Um, the other thing that was interesting is that in the book. He wears this disguise for an extended period of time. And he goes around as Arston Whitebeard, And okay. it's like a big reveal when they find out that he's actually, you know, sell me. But mm-hmm. in the show, like, George does this all the fucking time. Where people, like, have thin disguises or different names. And... But you just can't do that in the show. Right. Like, this, the guy is who he is. And it yeah. would be tedious for the like if you get six episodes in it's like oh he steps forward and says, I'm embarrassed and so me. <laughs> so I think it was it was cool how they adapted this to where it didn't really matter. Yeah. Um I also thought that like I, I thought the, the sequence where the little evil girl warlock, uh how they did her up to where she had the blue teeth and mm-hmm. like 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 you could just instantly tell that she's one of them and she jumps into the water and then teleports and the fucking creepy death said scorpion. That shit was really cool. I guess really I cool. thought
0: that the warlocks had been burned up in the house of the undying, but what does that even season. mean? That's, that's a good question. Yeah. To,
1: to, uh, to a to a warlock
0: or maybe the there are more like, I, I thought those were the only, that, that, that was the only warlock, the mm. one that she burned, but no, it's, it's, it's,
1: it's uh, they're essentially running the same scam. That's in the prestige. They're just like, yeah, <laughs> a hundred of them they all look the same they're not even really teleporting they're just they're just they're just you know uh it's all stagecraft
0: yeah uh and it doesn't even look like danny is hearing the arguments that jorah is making right because she's so enthralled by this little girl's right playing like she jorah's saying all this stuff like oh you know are you gonna treat them you're gonna treat them better imagine their lives under you as opposed to this guy and she's just like smiling looking into the distance <laughs> at this girl yeah you can see how that would be nothing like um
1: you know effective like well you know someone's gonna buy these slaves sure yeah might as well be you because you're not gonna you know you're gonna be cutting off their nipples right no
0: you, he almost frames it as like saving them from yeah. the the fate that they're currently living
1: yeah yeah um i also i'm and i'm not sure why Jora's reaction to Selmy coming forward, like, reads as, like, a jealous one. Hmm. Um, I could see it being a nervous reaction, uh, but, like, it reads to me. He's the sworn
0: protector of Danny. <laughs> like,
1: it's always like uh, another old ass dude moving yeah. in on my territory. It's like, <laughs> hey, there's already one slightly too old for this queen <laughs> guy jockeying for her position, and don't need another one. But I, it's. Uh, I don't know. That's like Jorah's weakness is that he he is insanely he's in love with with Danny in mm-hmm. like every way you can be in love with someone and quite unrequited.
0: Yeah, uh, but that's it. That's the end of the episode. That that whole scorpion thing.
1: There was a dedication at the end of the episode. Martin Kinsey, um, and that uh, this guy was a British second unit director and cinematographer. Who worked on The Shining, Return of the Jedi, Aliens, Wow, The King's Speech, and HBO shows like uh, Rome and, of course, Game of Thrones? And he tragically died at the age of 56 of a cancer hmm. uh, shortly before the season. And there, there was a, I, I found a picture of him standing uh, on the the wildly the, wherever they filmed the the Wilding shit in Norway or Finland or whatever. Hmm. Um, so uh, I thought that was a, a nice nice little tribute. All right. Um. Shall we do feedback? Yeah, let's do it. You know, as we mentioned in the housekeeping uh, part of the podcast, um, before we move on to feedback, we do a, a lot of stuff here at Bald Move. We do TVs. We do, uh, we do a lot of TV shows, a lot of your favorite TV shows, a lot of your favorite movies. Uh, now we're doing an off-season in the middle of a Game of Thrones content drought. We're doing uh, a rewatch of Season 3. Uh, how do we do that? How do we pay the bills? Uh, we do we're do so th- warlocks.
0: We're- <laughs> and We right. just
1: conjure gold. We, out do. Of nothing. we do. We conjure. It's it's we, we've ha- we've we 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 are packed the rafters with death head scorpions. We yeah. haven't figured out a way to convert that to gold yet. <laughs> no. Uh, and me turning into a little girl with blue stained teeth just isn't the <laughs> moneymaker that you'd think it would be. <laughs> so we've fallen back on our club, club.baldmove.com. Uh, if you sign up for clu- the club, not only do you have the satisfaction of knowing that you're allowing us to produce our independent content, but you also get a lot of bonus features. We do uh, video versions of a live of our podcast. Each week we do the fabulous variety show called Lunch with Jim and Aaron, where we talk about whatever. And we also take a live Q&A from our audience. Uh, we do spoiler versions of our first run bald movies, uh, so you can get like detailed takes on the hottest movies out. Uh, Just tons of stuff We got this thing called Quip Where we uh, quit your pitching Where we pitch absurd TV shows to each other And I've heard that that's funny A lot of people like it A lot of people enjoy it Uh, And there's a ton of other stuff You can go to club.baldmove.com And get samples of each one of these features And if you sign up You get a 30 day free trial Go to club.baldmove.com And support Bald Move today if you want to give us feedback, uh, it's Game of Thrones at BaldMove.com. You can give us spoiler feedback, non-spoiler feedback. I will sort it out, and we will consider it on the show. Uh, it's typical that we get much more spoiler feedback than, or, than non-spoiler feedback, because the, most, the majority of people of you know, it's the biggest television. I don't know if you heard, biggest show on the planet, 100 million people watching. Uh, if you're a latecomer, that's cool. Glad to have you on board, but you're in the minority. Uh, but if you are, please send me that feedback. I'd love to consider it. Mm-hmm. First up, Tori W from Texas. I um, hope he gets. Uh, hope this gets to you all before you record. And you want to know in the future, or he? I don't know. Tori could be a he or a she. In the future, when do y'all record? Um, Tuesdays at
0: one p.m. Tuesdays? Eastern are we time. gonna
1: do? Are we gonna make that standard? I mean, the only thing that might because we got some travel are, coming up. Like the, the summer, sometimes it changes, and
0: yeah, I. Not not Tuesdays, sorry Thursdays. Tuesdays Thursdays. are normal day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the in the on season, uh, off season it's Thursday at one p.m. Normally it's gonna be
1: Thursday at one p.m., but there are like we got to go to Philly for the podcast movement event, and it might yeah we'll be doing a
0: live recording then.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some things, but like in general, like if you get it to us the Sunday before the week, you know, obviously you'll we'll be all all good to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, on with the questions when Cersei and Tyrion are talking there's mention about a servant girl getting beaten or killed on Cersei's behest is this event explored more in the books what happened or what became of this I don't think so um, there's certainly s- tales of Cersei being a shit uh, as a girl that we that that will be illuminated as we get further in the story um, but I, I I don't think so because that scene between Cersei and Tyrion is an entirely sh- like a, a show invention that never happens in the books hmm. So I don't I don't think so. Uh, they also say when Sir Davos Seaworth and his pirate friend are talking on the ship after rescue, his pirate friend makes mention of Sir Davos wife. Uh, I don't believe we've ever met Mrs. Davos in the Game of Thrones show. Is she more of a character in the books? Will we meet her in the future?
0: Um, she's, she's just an onion. She is she's just a, a human being shaped. Uh, effigy <laughs> made of onions. It's just like
1: Wilson from Castaway. Uh-huh. You know, Davos gets lonely, and he carved uh, <laughs> a face on an onion. Uh, and, uh, and, and a well-used... No, oh, I'm going to start there. Okay, I'm going to stop yeah. there. Good idea. Onions have layers. Um, <laughs> she's mentioned a little bit more. Um, there's the, Davos writes... Like, so So Davos being made a knight. He gets a small keep in the Stormlands on... Uh, I think it's called The Cape of Wrath Uh, So he's got a little Steadfast uh, And and in the books He's got a lot more kids He actually brought Five of them To the Battle of Blackwater And uh, all all but one died So he's like You know He's got his grief Multiplied by four And his wife is At home with her The two youngest children Um, He writes her And he thinks fondly of her But like no She's not a a big character In the books So uh, Don't be looking for Mrs. Davos Although, who knows? Season 8. She's, that's her moment to shine. Uh, finally, some more of a statement than a question. Did you notice that when Marjorie comes out of the orphanage and is talking with the women running the orphanage about if they need anything to come directly to her, that she's literally standing where the shit puddle would be located based on the previous scene? <laughs> uh, yeah, she, maybe she's like an elf in Lord of the Rings. She just kind of like floats above it. Uh-huh. But, yeah, she was standing ankle deep in, in raw human sewage.
0: And and in prime bucketing position.
1: Yeah. Where, like,
0: somebody upstairs takes another shit. Right. She's getting covered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. If, if, uh, it does make me wonder what would cause a family to dump shit at the doorstep of the building they live in. I guess that... Like, it dump just... it to the left a little, you know? I mean... I think that's a thing though, that like people did
1: in the Middle Ages. They just oh, dumped yeah. shit and garbage in the street because they didn't know about germs. Yeah. I mean Are you gonna are you gonna walk five miles to the edge of the city to dump it? There was no like, you know, the 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 Romans' invention of, of indoor plumbing and aqueducts had been kind of lost at ages. It I get it, just a little to the left. Yeah. Uh, or the right. Either one. And also just like not I, in the I, think door. Just, I just think things stank back then too. Yeah. Like there's another thing. Like the Romans had this kind of high, high standard of of hygiene. They took regular baths and showers. But then, like uh, that kind of went away in the Middle Ages. People started, mm. you know, thinking that I don't know, like baths are something that would kill you, um, and they stank wow. accordingly. <laughs> so maybe it just didn't. It just can you imagine being in like London, like in the like in circa eleven hundred? Yeah, it's mm. like just a people stank.
0: Paris or something. The street yeah.
1: stank. Everything just was god-awful. And you, you, I, I think it's like, it probably is like living on a hog for, farm, where eventually, mm-hmm. like, you just don't even
0: smell it. No, I get upset when I go to, like, a city and a homeless person is pissed in a corner somewhere, Sure, and I get a slight whiff of it. What if that was just 24-7? Yeah. Well, you'd get and used much, to it. And much, much worse. <laughs> you'd get yeah, you would. It. It's like living on a pig farm, you know? Eventually, uh-huh. you don't smell it. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Uh, Audrey T., this isn't a strictly a season three question, but I've always wondered why Jorah is called Jorah the Andal. If he's from the north, shouldn't he be one of the first men? Yeah, but you, if you pay attention, you'll find that the, he's only known as that on uh, by the Dothraki, and you're supposed to understand that they're just ignorant of how Westeros works. Huh. It's like, you know, f- you're it, like like... <laughs> Uh, from Indiana, uh, like 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 the way like Southerners call everyone Yankees, regardless of like how far north they are or whatever. Like mm-hmm. it's just kind of like uh, you know the the idea that there's the first men and there's the Andals and there's all this like that's just lost on the Dothraki. They're just all the Andals. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's a uh, it's a it's a mislabeling of him. But what's Jor going to do? Uh, correct every single Dothraki screamer right. that that calls him the Andal. Yeah. Uh, Mian wrote me and said, I must know the correct way to pronounce Aaron Dampier. That's the gentleman <laughs> that baptized <laughs> on last Dampere. season. hmm Because I'm not implying you're wrong, because good old Roy, uh, rest in peace, Roy Dotrice, who is the, uh, audiobook narrator of the entire Game of Thrones series thus far, mm-hmm. or a Song of Ice and Fire series, uh, good old Roy has been playing fast and loose with some of the pronunciations, such as Brienne and Catelyn especially, and just curious, well, I'm going to let the man himself uh, weigh in here. I've got a link from George R. R. Martin where he himself clears this up.
0: Um, how do you pronounce Aaron Greyjoy's title? Dampfair. fair. That's from Rob. I, damp hair. Damp hair. Damp okay. hair. Yes. Okay, damp I suppose hair. I should have put a hyphen in between. To make <laughs> That's all right. This is because he's all wet. <laughs> okay, well, that makes a lot of sense.
1: So there you go. I do think that it's confusing because as he said he didn't hyphenate it and there's like a, uh, there's a fantasy term for vampire that's like a half human half vampire called mm-hmm. like a dampire that's spelled similarly like that so like I think yeah. that maybe people just I don't know but, but to me it, it just read like this guy has got damp hair he's a, this, this salt water priest and he's just always <laughs> in the surf bat, drowning people so he's got damp air but that's how you pronounce it, damp air. And that's all the non-spoiler feedback we got. Uh, if you'd like to send us some of any stripe, please send it to BaldMove.com. We also will have a thread each week. I'm only going to be creating a spoiler thread going forward because I think the non-spoiler thread doesn't get as much uh, traction. Um, but I'm going to be creating one uh, for the non uh, for the for the spoiler thread. If you are a non-spoiler person, and you want to create one, just just do it. You know. Uh, anyone cre- can create a thread on our forums, that Uh Let's proceed to the spoilery territory. Before we talk about the feedback, did you have anything you want to talk about as far as just, like, yeah. things that made you go, hmm, hmm, about the future?
0: Yeah, I... So, first of all, just a minor observation. It's really funny seeing how they're playing Tormund when he's first introduced. Yeah. As this very intimidating warrior guy. Mm-hmm. Uh where in later seasons he has very much become comedy relief. Com- sure. Comedic relief, you know. Sure. He he doesn't do much that I would call badass or intimidating anymore. He's mm-hmm. more about like his googly eyes and his his L- affection for <laughs> sure. brian Like sure. that kind of stuff. It it was almost a little jarring to see how they play him in the beginning. Right and
1: i also like that they call him the chicken eater
0: uh-huh because that kind
1: of makes a connection to the hound because the hound famously you know had to eat every chicken in this goddamn room mm-hmm. uh and in season 7 they have a bit of a bromance or what would you call it like an anti bromance because it's it's essentially tormen trying to get the hound out of his shell a little bit yeah um to probably not much effect but i thought that was i mean surely they didn't intend that um but it's a cool it's a cool little you know uh hindsight f- being twenty twenty detail um the other th- anything else or has-
0: yeah okay keep, uh, r- i mean keep plenty, plenty of stuff i there were a couple of important characters introduced in this episode uh-huh. for the first time sandy. Uh-huh. Is introduced, and Kyburn's introduced. Did they actually introduce Missandei as as a named character? I don't mm, think uh, so. He says her name at one point. Does he really? He does. When okay. he goes to cut off the nipple of the guard, he says Missandei or something. Okay. Uh, but I don't think they make a point like that's her name. Right. He just says it, and I recognized it because I know it's her name. Right. Kyburn uh, obviously named, and he's going to be a thorn in most people's sides going forward. Uh,
1: the other thing I thought was interesting was when Cersei made a comment about Tyrion. She goes, oh, your wound isn't all that bad. I heard you lost your nose. Yeah. That's a reference to in the books. Tyrion does get. I mean, Tyrion in the books is a lot less attractive than Peter Dinklage in real life. He's got a hunchback. He walks with this weird gait because one of his legs is, is shorter than the other. He's got mismatched pair of eyes. Uh, he's described as extremely ugly. None of these things apply to the Peter Dinklage, who is quite oh, no. an attractive man. Uh and then and then in this and then they just literally chop his nose off so he's just got that gaping fucking hole in his face making him look even more like a monster. So I thought that was an interesting kind of like nod and a wink to the book readers. Yep. Um I also thought as int- the the line from Roose Bolton where he goes, I've got my best hunters after Jamie uh I don't think that's literally true. Because we find out later that surely Ramsey would be his best hunter. If he I wanted to run so. a man down, he'd send Ramsey with his pack of dogs and that crazy woman that he's got. Uh, but he's off just fucking with Theon and the Dreadfort. Mm-hmm. So, is this an early early indication if you're in the know that Roose is uh, is kind of working both sides? Could be. He's like sand He's sandbagging uh, uh, his, his liege lord's uh, attempts to to um, I don't know achieve his political objective. Yeah. Oh that is an interesting um note. And then the other thing I know that there's a theory out there that Tyrion is not actually Tywin's son and he's he's actually uh well there's a lot of th- theories but the 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 one that's not so crazy is that he is the illegitimate son of uh the mad king. Eris uh, II, because there are a lot of hints. Like Barristan Selmy talks to, uh, you know, t- talks about like the fact that Eris uh, took um, improprieties with uh, the uh, Joanna Lannister um, on their wedding night. And there's also um, George Martin, when he released the World of Ice and Fire, specifically put in a timeline that brought Joanna Lannister back to King's Landing. About nine months before Tyrion was born, and there's an his implication that he could be like this, this illegitimate, a secret Targaryen, mm-hmm. um, and that, that drives a lot of people crazy um, for a variety of different reasons. Uh, they think that like it, it, it cheapens the enmity between Tyrion and Tywin, which I don't understand at all. Hmm. But I thought that this line from Charles Dance, where he goes, "You know, I can't prove that you are not mine," so in the show, at least, I think that that i don't what you could argue that maybe he's just saying that to 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 piss Tyrion off but the plain reading is
0: that Tyrion privately doesn't think that he's his son tywin doesn't yeah tywin no that's that's interesting i was not super aware of like the details of that so
1: um makes a lot of sense but yeah i thought that was kind of interesting too and that's all the stuff is that that
0: a season eight reveal
1: Season um, eight, they're
0: going to go for that in the six episodes they got left.
1: I don't know because like there's a there's a strong theory that like um, the three heads, the dragons must have three heads, mm-hmm. and that like there's this a special affinity for the the dragons to Targaryens. And we, we, and we got the in, second
0: head. Last we saw season. that in season yeah. seven
1: where one of the dragons uh, was the the Rhaegal. In fact, it's the the one that's the namesake of Jon's actual father. Kind of like showed affection to John instead of just roasting him when they first met. Um, and then Tyrion also had a little bit of a dragon whisperer moment when he set the two remaining dragons free from Marine. Right. Uh, when he yeah. went down into the crypts and, you know, unchained them and they didn't hurt him. there was a big, you know, a pretty big theory that like, well, this the secret Targaryen thing might be true because then you'd have Jon, Danny, and Tyrion. Three. There's your top consensus, top three fan favorites. They're essentially right. in everyone's top five. <laughs> And how awesome that would be, but it, it doesn't, in Season 7, it doesn't seem like they're going that direction. And
0: they took out one, and they of, took the out dragons, one of the which dragons, to me says, we're not going to do this thing, even right. if that's what was intended. Uh, now we just need two heads. So,
1: is that still going to be a thing in the book? I mean, that's the messy thing about the books yeah. being taken over by the show, and how there might even be a little bit of bad blood between Martin and the Double Ds,
0: um, which is unfortunate, but... You know, it's the the hand that got dealt. So, yeah, watching this scene with um, Tywin and Tyrion, where he's shitting all over Tyrion, uh, it I couldn't help but think how much different things turn out if Tywin gives Tyrion what he wants here.
1: Oh, if Tywin nurtured I mean, like Tyrion, yeah,
0: natural ability. Because I, I, I mean, the the key thing here being Tyrion wouldn't have killed him, right? Right. So Tywin would have still been around to manage the kingdoms. right? And I think like. None of this stuff with Marjorie and Cersei gets out of hand. The High Septon doesn't step in and cause all sorts of problems. Like, this kingdom might still be in the shape it needs to be in to combat, you know, whatever Danny can bring. Yeah, I mean, imagine if, like, Tywin had
1: shored up his support with his son, and he's got, like, Tyrion, and he could get Varys on his side, um, which I think Varys has got his own motivation, but...
0: Like, who could take him out? I mean, Danny might not even have been able to navigate the waters that's what I'm saying. Over, over in the slave cities. Yeah.
1: Without yeah. Tyrion's help. Yeah. And for damn sure coming over to Westeros would be a hell of a lot, because she has no idea the political landscape there, and she could be facing united, strong Westeros. Right. That has its shit together, that <laughs> has tons of stores, that's
0: ready for the winter, and, yeah. you know... and I yeah, mean, I stuff after this starts to go immediately to shit with oh, yeah. Marjorie and... Uh, her grandmother. What's, uh, what's her name? Lady Elena. Lady Olena. I mean, that that rivalry just goes sure. to eleven.
1: Sure. After this, um, no. It's an interesting. It's an interesting question because I don't even think Tywin would have to like kiss his ass. He would just have yeah. to not be so openly antagonistic about it, right? Like, what would it cost mm-hmm. Tywin to promise? you know what, I'm going to... You, you You did a good job as a hand. I'm going to give you a little bit more responsibility. We'll talk about some lands and
0: then like, you he know... He does that in this scene if, and then he turns around when... But, but he could have just said and then we'll see about cat. He could just... Oh, we'll dangle see. Dangle that okay. carrot. And he could... And he, like, I, I just...
1: Just let up a little bit and yeah. that would probably... But I, I just think that's... Tywin's incapable of that. Yeah, he's
0: a, a man of... He's
1: incapable (laughs) of inspiring anything but, like, fear and jealousy amongst his children. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like real love or affection. No. Because he can't give it himself. Because he thinks it's a liability and a weakness. Because that's what his father... He's constantly afraid of the shadow of his father, who was known as a weak man, who was soft-hearted, and who was taken advantage of, and was almost openly rebelled by the lords of the... Uh, uh, of the uh, shit, the uh, the Westerlands and
0: uh, Tywin's not going to let that happen. Yeah, uh, and and finally, correct me if I'm wrong on this because uh, I don't remember season three very well. They don't do anything with the warlocks from here on out, right? I don't think so. There's a couple not a dangling. Damn Why bring it back at the beginning of season three and then do nothing with it? I feel like that's a mistake that they made early on in this. Season. I I think that. They
1: laid a lot of tracks to kind of meet George later in later books that George didn't didn't finish the books because like you'll you remember uh, there's like this mysterious woman called Quaithe that yeah. had that jeweled mask that gave all these kind of quasi interesting prophecies and she disappears off the map too but it's very clear that she'll be something in the books and I think there's like this like this warlocks and the Quaithe and stuff like that there was a whole lot of other juicy things that the Double D's were like you know what
0: fuck this we're gonna streamline it and get <laughs> but in- it felt like they. They said, fuck this after they wrote the first episode of the season and then well, I don't think decided we're not going to do anything with that I, I, and didn't I, I, go back and change it. To me, I think things went
1: bad between jo- Martin and the Double Ds in season five. So that's still two seasons away where it, but they
0: don't do anything in those two seasons with the Warlocks.
1: Yeah, I guess that's do, true. Do they? But maybe I, like, I'm like. i just I'm just I'm just guessing that. um and you know, I, I I gotta say, I don't know who in the books. I'd have to look to see if there's an implication of who. Maybe some other faction sent the Death's Ed Scorpion, uh, and they just decided to go with a villain that we already knew instead of introducing some other. You right. know. Um But yeah, I, I don't
0: I don't know. It just it didn't feel it didn't feel very good knowing that they're not really a big deal coming up. I did like I do like how they use them here. That like
1: like like it kind of underlines the danger Danny's in that she's in a she's still
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah she escaped um Karth and she has a boat a couple boats and you know but she's still a stranger in a strange land that doesn't understand and she doesn't have a lot of friends and she has a lot of enemies sure. and even the ones we thought maybe were vanquished last season are still a threat but they don't yeah you're right they don't really uh do anything with that past that Jeff in Chicago did you see Jeff last weekend? I didn't, no. Did you, you, didn't, you didn't? Just missed him. Ah, darn it. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wanted to get your guys' take on during the season is where this season stacks against the rest.
0: Ah, oh, fuck me. You can't do this to me. I haven't seen the season yet. <laughs> this may be better suited for... I was thinking about it. It's been like eight years or something. No, like no. five years yeah, since been... I've watched season three of Game of Thrones.
1: It's 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 been a minute. Um, yeah. So... He goes, uh, this maybe is better suited for the preview podcast, but due to your unique Con of Thrones preview, I thought I'd email it now. When I first watched season three of Game of Thrones, I thought it was the most exciting season of television I've ever seen. I believe I've watched the season three times in full and probably watched certain episodes on top of those full season watches. Let's start with the Rob Stark storyline. One thing I noticed quickly in the second run through the years ago was that Rob Stark's storyline this season is pretty boring. The progression rivals that of Danny in seasons two, three, and five. Do you think this is a result of knowing what's coming in episode nine and that no matter what he did this season, once you know the result, it will seem like low stakes? I don't believe so. I think he makes uh, misstep misstep after misstep that are extremely noticeable on subsequent watches, and although I was shocked and speechless after the Red Wedding, I can't help but feeling it was extremely obvious that his days were numbered. Rob goes from badass in season two, but completely outclassed by Tywin in this season due to inexperienced connections, and complacency. Overall, I think this season was my favorite upon first watch, but falls behind seasons one and six after rewatches. It still has the start of the Jamie Redemption arc, which is, in my opinion, the strongest aspect of the season. I'd like to get your input on if you still think the season is strong after analyzing it, knowing the Red Wedding is coming.
0: I'll let you know in ten weeks. (laughs) Well,
1: it's a good question, and I remember when I was first going through this, because I don't know if you guys remember, but the book fan—and I'm not saying all book fans, because I am a book fan—but— they're a certain small minority that were very vocal. Were extremely obnoxious this season with the whole hints about the red wedding and Hee and all the stuff. like like they they couldn't stay the fuck out of like non spoiler threads with and, oh, you just wait and oh, I mean, it it was it was pretty sad to the point that I remember uh, Mad Brew who was the non spoiler uh, spoiled. A co-host at the time, I was very worried that he was going to start putting two and two together. Because you're right, it just, um, seeing this on the second time through is just is just Rob slipping on one banana peel after the other that lands him into the grave. Hmm. Um, but I think it's telling that that didn't you didn't get that on the first watch. So and unfortunately the Red Wedding was spoiled for me before I even started reading the books. That's why I decided to read the books. I was going to do this as a completely show first podcast. I'm glad it didn't go that way, but mm-hmm. I got the Red Wedding spoiled. I'm like, you know what, fuck it, I'm gonna read all this because what are the odds I'm not gonna get spoiled doing this podcast? Yeah. Um so I don't the, know. The, I, the thing is they they sort of sealed Rob's fate last season. Right. The the mistake the the mistake that ultimately gave Tywin, the opening to work with, was him jilting... Yes. Uh, the... Walder uh, Frey. Walder Frey, yeah. thank you. And I f- as far as the which which season I like the best, I think season four might be my favorite Man, season. Man, season
0: four is Fast and Furious. Like, you've got the Purple Wedding... And that's in the second episode. I know, it's it's immediate. you got the Purple Wedding, you've got uh, Hardhome is in that season at the end. Um... Shit, there's one other. The like, no, hard huge... home is
1: in season in, in season five, but you've got oh, it is. You've got the trial of Tyrion. You've got Prince Oberyn. Yeah, uh, you've got the the coming right. forward and say I'll be your champion. Then you've got uh-huh. the tragic turn of the Mountain and the Viper. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the the battle of uh, Castle Black and Watchers in the Wall. Um, that's
0: what I was thinking of. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. I mean, it's. I think season four might be my favorite season. Uh, just just just. Overall,
0: I remember being stunned by how much happens. Like how many big events happen in season four?
1: Right, right. Um, there's the you know the, the the traveling the one the better traveling road shows of Game of Thrones between uh, Arya and the Hound. Mm-hmm. Um, I I really think uh, I, I really think season four is strong, but I think season, season three and four are kind of like the high water points of Game of Thrones before you got into. The stumbles of Dorn um, that yeah. happened in season five. They kind of, like, continue to echo through season six. And in season seven was, I think, on balance good. But there was some weird plotting because they were trying to really desperately, you know. But, like, George Martin, the whole reason we haven't gotten a book yet is I don't think that fucker knows how to get Danny out of Marine. <laughs> I really don't. And the double Ds are just like, you know, we're just going to have, you know, fuck it. We're just going to have her come over and we'll invent a reason to get all these people in a room so they can talk the, and they're the gonna be a betrayal on. And yeah, yeah yeah they're just like you know really trying to, to, to drive a lot over a lot of broken crappy ground to get there but yeah I think 3 and 4 are a toss up of the, the which is my favorite I think 3's got the bigger like boomf moment and and we're going to see like some master class acting uh, with Jamie and Brynn in the hot tub where Jamie talks about his, his role as the Kingslayer mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of really great and then of course the Red Wedding is the moment in Game of Thrones right yeah but like I felt like season 4 had like three Red Wedding class moments and yep. they were spread evenly throughout the season it just was like a, a roller coaster ride so I think season 4 is my favorite plus seeing Joffrey choke to death and turn purple there's nothing better pretty good <laughs> pretty good uh tory w uh this is when i kicked from the main email to the spoiler section in the Heron hall scene i believe this is the first time we see kyburn was he there the entire time Arya was there was this discussed more in the books um kyburn as a disgraced maester found work where he could get it in the books and in the books he joined a troop of sellswords called the brave companions uh, who are mockingly referred to by others as the bloody mummers because they're just like the dregs of society from all over the the, the planet. Like, there's shit heels from Essos, there's shit heels from Southros, there's shit heels from Westeros. They're all wearing this flamboyant clothes, and they all look like a joke, and they're all blood bloody-minded and ruthless, and he's kind of like their, their medic. Um, and... Uh, he he gets uh, the 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 bloody the bloody mummers chop off uh, Jamie's hand as happens in this this season, and when Roose Bolton gets there, he has Kyburn heal him up, and then he sends Kyburn back with Jamie to King's Landing to kind of make sure he gets there, you know, a ok because he's trying to curry favor with Tywin, obviously, uh, and that's how Kyburn makes it back to King's Landing. Um, so it's you know it it's 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 comparable, but we don't get a lot of his backstory in the books that's not eventually revealed in the show as well. Hmm. Um, David R. Recently did a rewatch of season three myself and was struck by the observation Jon Snow's a prince raised as a bastard. Joffrey is a bastard raised as a prince. <laughs> they don't do a lot of that duality because other than season yeah. one, they don't even really meet or interact. Um, but it is it is uh, it is interesting thing
0: to note. I mean, until recently we didn't even know that we didn't so, know it yeah yeah,
1: yeah it, was, it was one of the most popular theories for for a long while
0: right but you can't do something with something you haven't told the audience yet <laughs> exactly uh shock a
1: sea when the walls fell That's uh, <laughs> just like a star trek joke in there quick question since the show has now surpassed the books would you i would love an opinion on what event you feel is the most significant departure from grrm's original intentions I know Jim has not read... Quick answer. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I know Jim hasn't read the books yet, but in my opinion, the Sept Explosion seems like the most non-book event. It Mm. seems like a totally made-for-TV moment that would be very surprised if uh, Gurm would have ever written something like that. I know it's an odd question, especially for Jim. Just curious even for his perspective on what's the most made-for-TV moment was. I mean, the Sept Explosion is hard to tell because we haven't got there in the books yet, Um but I don't know. I think the big deviation is probably uh the Dorn plot, mm yeah, um, and to the extent that i i I guess they had to do it because Oberon was kind of like a dangling chad of the of, of season four. Like, like you introduce this badass character from Dorne, and they've got this axe to, uh, to grind against the Lannisters, and then their champion gets killed, and, like, Dorne's just gonna be like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. You know, they're unbowed, unbent, unbroken. So they had to have something there, but, like, boy, what they had was not great. And now that we've seen the whole conclusion to it, it doesn't seem like it was worth worth everything we went through to get there. Hmm. Um but I, it's it's tough because it's not. I wouldn't say it's a made-for-TV moment. It was just a really botched translation of a book plot that's in the middle of, of things, and it's probably a red herring too. Because like I don't think the Dorn plot's going to be that significant in the books. It's just you know another potential rival or another potential complication to Danny uh, on her way to to the the throne. So I I, I kind of feel like that. I'm trying to think of another big any other
0: big changes. Probably the the biggest one in my mind is what. Littlefinger says when he throws uh, Arn, uh into the, the moon <laughs> right. well or whatever the hell it is. Right. Instead of only cat. The moon door. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: I mean, there's like... <laughs> that, now, I I do think... People certainly made the biggest deal of it. Yeah. And I it's, I don't know. I don't know why sometimes... The, the, to me, that seems like an unforced error. Like, why... I mean, you either trust your audience to remember that this is Cat's sister... And, and you've got multiple tools that you can help them do that. Like, you got fucking the previously-ons, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know why you would alter dialogue in big moments. You know, it'd be like if uh, Roose Bolton, instead of saying Lannister's in their regard, said, yabba dabba do. You know, it's like, <laughs> wh- why? What? Why? Why? Yeah. The Lannisters, your mortal enemies that had killed your father back in season one and who have been fighting away. It's like, come on, man. It doesn't, doesn't flow. That's my. I, I think the the Dorn plot is the biggest. Although, I mean, if we if 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 you're thrown into Sept, I guess I would say the the rescue a white or bring back a white sample to King's Landing seems pretty far fetched. There's no fucking way that's George's in <laughs> game, right? Um, it's man, it's gonna be so fascinating if he ever finishes these fucking books to see because like mm-hmm. I, the three at a dragon is so strong, it makes, I'm very skeptical that that the Ice Dragon shit happens exactly like that in the books. Right. Because they've also had this whole, like, magical horn that might be able to knock down the wall, like, uh, that might be, I mean, we might see a lot of big middle fingers to George by the time this series is over, if fucking George can get the books done. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lauren C. from Australia. Uh... I'm very excited for season three recap and it's very timely because I was wanting to email about my favorite Game of Thrones romance story, Jamie and Brienne, as it sees its origins in season three. I was hesitant to ask you guys to comment on the G- uh, Jamie Brienne love story and that there is a view to say that Game of Thrones is above love and romance storylines. But upon hmm. reflection, so many major events in the text are deeply related to romance, sex, and love, or the lack thereof, such as Jamie throwing Brienne out the window, King Robert's vengeance against Prince Rhaegar. Baelish's unrequited love, Ty- Tyrion and Shae, the red wedding, etc. So perhaps more of a love story than it appears on its action-packed service. Plus,
0: Boatsex. <laughs> right, don't forget Boatsex.
1: Boatsex. I think the characters' love for one another is heavily shadowed in the books, the show and the actors and directors all hinting at the romance quite explicitly, with Braun even hitting us over the head with the less than subtle subtle. Do you think they're fookin' chat mm-hmm. with pod? It's widely speculated in the various internets that Germ views Jamie and Brian's relationship as a take on the Beauty and the Beast trope. I think some form of love declaration or sex or marriage would round that both their character arcs nicely. However, I can also easily imagine one of them sacrificing themselves for the other and or dying in the other's arms in the wars to come. What do you guys think about the fate of them and their romance in
0: Season 8? What do you think, Jim? Ah... <sighs> Man, it's so hard to say. Now with Jamie being, you know, outside the boundaries of his family and mm-hmm. and his his legacy. Uh I think there's a possibility for for the romance to, to blossom. But yeah. I I'm not like I'm not holding my breath for it. Yeah. I mean there's so much other stuff that's got to happen in these six episodes. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if even their intention was to come back to it. It gets lost in the shuffle.
1: Yeah, because there's only six episodes, and even if they're like ninety minutes long, that's still right. a lot of shit that has to be done. You gotta you gotta beat the White Walkers. You gotta resolve. You gotta beat two Cersei. Wars. You gotta beat Euron. Yeah, you gotta you gotta come up with a bittersweet ending that kind of like makes people feel like the whole thing's worth it. In six episodes, it's a tall order. Maybe uh, Jamie and Brian could be part of that bittersweet ending here's I, I think that the the romance is hint like in the book like jamie has explicitly like erotic dreams and imageries when he thinks of being like unsubconsciously and unbidden um i think that he is intrigued by this powerful woman um that is completely unlike the other woman that he loved that you know she's not physically beautiful and in the books Brian's uh made out to be ugly now i've always said like is she because, like, she's got full lips and high cheekbones and bright blue eyes and, like, like is, is – is, is, is it's kind of like when they say that, Ar- like, Arya is called a horse face, but then she's also favorably compared to her Aunt Lyanna, which is one of the most beautiful women in the world. So, like, hmm. is this people throwing sour grapes at Brienne because she's a badass and the world's not set up to handle a woman like that? Hmm. Um, because, you know, obviously Gwendolyn Christie is very attractive. Um, but I think that like you know setting all that like even if she's not physically attractive she's like the anti uh, Cersei she's courageous and loyal and, and just and righteous and you know perhaps uh, you know also manly and kind of oafish but you know Cersei's beautiful but it's ex- skin deep mm-hmm. so the problem I have with them being he- heavily or happily after after is I think Jamie has to answer for shoving a kid out the window I don't think that he can – I don't think that he can redeem his way out of that. I th- I think that, unfortunately, Jamie's role is going to be to redeem himself through a heroic sacrifice, to turn his back finally on his family and his sister and do the right thing once again. Um, but, I yeah, I, just, I don't think that you can – I I just that's always been like I love uh, Jamie and I love his face turn in this season but holy shit he tried to murder a child an eight-year-old boy Mm -hmm. how can Martin let him
0: off the hook for that yeah I mean I guess if if I were to play devil's advocate I'd say that bad people don't always get punished for the bad things they do that's true and it's not a very satisfying thing from a you know storybook perspective but uh it doesn't necessarily have to get punished and if if they do enough to bring him around uh to where the character is is liked by the audience yeah then maybe the audience won't care that yeah. he doesn't get you know what he truly deserves right um because I, I mean a lot of i feel like jamie's history gives him a lot of latitude not enough latitude to push a child out the window yeah, yeah. um but a lot of latitude because he has suffered silently for so long right um you know being i guess miscast mislabeled as this villain Uh um you know the kingslayer yeah uh so i i as a viewer tend to give him a little bit more credit than uh a man who shoves a child out a window and i know nothing about him otherwise Right. right Uh, But I I don't know if that's enough, but maybe, maybe by the end. It is interesting because, as you point out, he did the
1: right thing already and was punished for it. Yeah. Like severely. Like, you know, everyone that's honorable in a land from Ned Stark on down thinks that he's the Kingslayer and he's looked down upon. But yet he saved. He's arguably the hero of King's Landing. Right. Um, I don't know. I just like that's my that's my creeping. Worry about the Brienne Jamie romance is That just Jamie has got the answer for the sins he's committed um, mm-hmm. ever since the, the 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 King's Landing incident. So I don't know. We we we'll see. But uh, they have to
0: do something in the final six episodes, right? Right, right. <laughs> you can't right. look at everything individually and say, well, they don't have time for that. Right. And I don't know. Like, I, so it also maybe is
1: like, this is important. How matchy matchy
0: is this thing going to get?
1: Because you've already yeah. got like I, I I honestly think the bittersweet of Game of Thrones is going to be because the realm is going to be okay and is going to be saved but I think our individual heroes are going to in, in much the same way that like Lord of the Rings went down where Frodo saved the Shire but not for himself I think yeah. that Danny and John might re- reunite Westeros but one of them will die Uh, Jamie might redeem himself but he he will die because like otherwise like you know what are we going to do is like because the people like oh you think Tyrion will marry Sansa do you think like what the fuck do you think the final episode is going to be like Six weddings and a million funerals like uh, what? <laughs> what what i mean it it can't right and no. and 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 Martin saying is gonna be bitter sweet, so like you got anytime you got sweet, you gotta think about where the bitter's gonna come from mm-hmm. so I think the sweet's gonna come from people's individual redemption and the and the people being saved, but the bitter is gonna come from a lot of these heroes being scarred and having to give the ultimate sacrifice, so yeah. anything else on this subject because that nope. is the feedback for the week. Again, Game of Thrones at uh, baldmove.com, forums.baldmove.com, and we will see you next week for the second episode. I am really glad to be back to the land of Game of Thrones. Uh, Next episode, The Lion and the Rose. We'll consider that next week, and I will see you there.